Welcome to the Botstaber Austrian American podcast. Joining us today is guest host Dr. Jacqueline Van Sant for a special three-part podcast series on Austrian children and youth fleeing Nazi Austria. Hi, I'm Jacqueline. I will be talking with the historian Sven Steinberg. He's a research associate in the Department of History at the University of Toronto and a lecturer in the Department of History at Queen's University in Kingston and research ambassador of the German Academic Exchange Service. Sven has published widely on the subject of exile and migration, as well as organized many workshops and conferences on the topic. In the special issue of the Journal of Austrian American Studies, Sven, you focus on a study conducted by Ernst Papenek. But before we touch upon that, can you tell us a little bit about Papenek? Who was he? Yeah, thanks for the question, Jackie, and thanks for having me. Um, Ernst Papenek was born in Vienna in uh, 1900. his parents were, were Jewish. And um, after the First World War, he studied psychology and education science in Vienna. But um, he worked before and at the time also as a teacher. And then he became involved in the Socialist Party. So he was a pedagogue and a politician, um, very multifaceted um, person. Then, after the short civil war in uh, February 1934, when the Socialist Party was outlawed by the Austro-Fascist government, uh, Papanek fled to Czechoslovakia. In the following years, he was quite active in uh, many European countries, in Yugoslavia and Poland, in Belgium. And from uh, 1936 to 1938, um, he also coordinated the relief efforts of the Socialist International in Spain. To make a long story short, a very interesting person that is, uh, in my opinion, marked by especially two aspects. And um, this is pedagogy and politics and uh, the socialist movement, to be a a little bit more precise here. We will talk about his um, biography and what was going on uh, after 38 uh, later in this interview. I just wanted to mention that um, Lily Meyer most recently published an extensive biography about him that gives uh, a a whole lot of more information about uh, what I summarized now in a few sentences. So I'm curious then, where did he teach in Vienna? So he he worked as a teacher in Vienna, Mm -hmm. Uh, but more importantly, he was for, not for a very long time, but he already was the, the head of a home for juvenile kids and uh, this speaks to uh, what he was doing later on uh, in his refugee relief work in um, homes for uh, unaccompanied refugee child- uh, children and um, his work after the Second World War in New York with uh, juvenile kids uh, or juveniles. Well that's a great segue into my next question. So <laughs> when and where did he work with young refugees? When did that begin? Um, in summer of uh, 19 1938, Papanek came to France after a real European journey, including the Spanish Civil War, to organize a summer camp for refugee children from Poland and for children from French socialists, so refugees and non-refugees. And in the fall of 1938, um, the Jewish Relief Organization, the OSI, Oeuvre de Secours aux Enfants, um, the Children's Aid Society, offered him the administration of a refugee home near Paris. And shortly after that, um, he organized several homes um, for kindertransport children from Austria, um, also from Germany and later other countries. And then, of course, Germany attacked France. 
And in September, Papanek uh, left for New York, saving uh, a little bit more than 300 children. So his his very active role in relief efforts for refugee children, and in this case, unaccompanied minor refugee um, uh, uh, refugees, uh, started in France, and yeah, in a very active way. So he was a great organizer, obviously. So how hands-on was he? I mean, he was he mostly administ- the administrator, or did he also teach? Um, as far as I could see in his papers in the New York Public Library. He was more the the, the administrator. So there were uh, a lot of other pedagogues in this very homes, um, but on the other hand, um, he he was trying to reach out to relief organizations. He was uh, trying to organize money. Uh, to get this going, to at least also get more children in. But on the other hand, of course, um, he had a saying in how this is organized and how the homes were set up and they had some kind of uh, constitutions in there and were self-administered or co-administered. So the the children had a saying in the administration of the homes as well. And this was coming from Papanek. That was the pedagogue um, in this kind of story. And how did that look in, um, I mean, this, the involvement of the, the, the children and youth in the organization of their the lodgings? I mean, did it have to do with what courses they were going to be taught or... Um, they, 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 no, that this is um, more like uh, small parliaments. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what Papanek, and this this is at least also the striking point why why I was so interested or became so much interested in him uh, in in his work and also the sources he kind of produced about um, these uh, young uh, refugees. What Papanek saw is that these children are not they were not objects to him that should be schooled or administered as children back in Austria and as refugees. You know, you have to put them in a place and, uh, and give them shelter. That that was not his approach. His approach was they are individuals and they have personalities and they have a voice. They can speak and they have an opinion. And what he tried to create, and um, this is uh, what happened in this home in, in, in France as well, is um, that these children got space to speak and they got hurt. Yeah, I think this is kind of the answer of it. Yeah. So how did um, Papanek's philosophy of working with refugee children differ from the usual philosophy in the United States at that time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a very good question. So, I mean, when Papanek arrived in uh, late 1940, there was already an established uh, structure of uh, relief organizations. There was already a a discourse about unaccompanied minor refugees coming to the US. And there were a lot of people active in this field, social workers, educators, people at universities, um, going down to the local level in administrations. So um, when he arrived with his, what I would call experiential knowledge from organizing relief and um, housing and uh, home for, for this specific group of refugees, he didn't arrive with, with something that was uh, seen as very special and pretty much welcome. There was already an ongoing debate. And um, the approach in the US was much more focused on what was called at that time Americanization or what we would 
call uh, assimilation. So Papanek arrived, uh, and by the end of uh, 1940 in New York, um, he started his planning for so-called training homes for refugee children. And um, already in, in this uh, kind of conceptual work, um, he disagreed with the U.S. American argument that unaccompanied uh, minor refugees would be better, better assimilated in host or, or foster families. So this was kind of the, the, the first disagreement. And the second one, and um, this comes more from the uh, research of uh, Laura Hobson uh, Farah. Um, she wrote a, a lot about the, the French homes and Papanek's work there. She found out that um, German Jewish organizations like the German Jewish Children Aid, already founded in uh, 1934, considered the placement in foster families um, as an instrument to mitigate American anti-Semitism. So um, what I'm trying to say, <laughs> Papanek arrived with very complex knowledge of how to treat refugee children, but he also arrived in a very complex discourse with his concept and one approach that was seen as right or wrong or whatever at the time. So it sounds like he wasn't able to realize his philosophy in the United States, or was he? No, that's correct. So he brought over more than 300 of his children um, from these homes in France. So he was able to save them. Um, he saved their lives, there's no doubt. What he tried was to found a new home, at least a single one, like he did in France, to um, bring these this children together, because again, his approach was a little bit more seeing them as individuals. Refugee children came with uh, similar experiences of, you know, being with, with trauma and with uh, uh, horrible incidents, and of course, with uh, in, in, in their uh, past, and of course, uh, with being separated from families. And his approach was much more, okay, let's keep them together. And there were um, a couple of agencies, but also individuals, social workers, and so on, that contradicted that and um, that's why this didn't work out um, so he arrived and his concept was seen as not very useful at uh, at the time and that's why this refugee or the study on refugee children at least was conducted by him um, because uh, he also saw okay I'm sort of not part of the networks um, that are important here and I, pro uh, um, and I probably need more education for myself so he started uh, studying social work in New York at Columbia at the School of Social Work and um, conducted this refugee study as his uh, master's uh, thesis. So to a certain extent, this study is also part of being himself not successful in transferring this concept of refugee children homes from France to the U.S. So um, I have a bunch of questions about the study, but before I ask you them, I'm curious about him bringing over these um, unaccompanied children. Did he bring them all over at one time? No. No, that was impossible. I mean, mm. um, after um, this, I mean, this is what you have to keep in mind. After the um, attack on France, later on, uh, uh, Italy joined the war as well. And this had an, a, a huge impact. And of course, um, Great Britain was already in the war because of the German attack on Poland. So and this had an, um, a, 
a really great impact on uh, transportation opportunities. Um, so the Mediterranean, for example, was nearly blocked. Um, so it was not possible to simply ship out uh, 300 children. So he brought them in smaller groups and um, he organized this through the relief organizations that were already working on this kind of uh, issue in, uh, especially in, in, in the US. So they arrived step by step, I think until the end of 1941. So that's so interesting to me because you don't hear that much about unaccompanied children, particularly right. um, because a lot of the, the U.S. legislature were against that. Um, so I find that fascinating. Mm -hmm. But um, on to your um, the Papanet study. I mean, you focus on that study on refugee children, a preliminary study in your article. And can you tell us a little more background about it, how it came about and how did he structure it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. As I've already said, so um, this is kind of part of Papanek's um, very individual professional bio biography. So this is not um, that he arrived in New York and then he tried to set up these homes and then uh, he saw, okay, I have to, I don't know, uh, create this kind of uh, of study to make my point so it's more the other way around he started studying social work to uh, to enter at least this field of um, uh, work opportunities for himself but he did it with his own refugee children and this is of course in content brackets um, with the children he brought over so what he did in what became his master's thesis on refugee children a preliminary study he circulated uh, questionnaires with about uh, 70 questions among the refugee children he brought over a little bit more than 300 and uh, 214 of these children participated uh, 48 from austria and in Papanek's uh, study, and this is, that's why, why I came, uh, or why, why our paths at least uh, crossed. So these um, uh, questionnaires and uh, the final study are part of his papers in the New York Public Library. And I was looking for uh, sources uh, that represent this, these voices of refugee children. And I was looking into these documents and then I found out, okay, um, Papanek was interested in something I'm interested in too. Not in sources about young refugees, not in sources from schools that are made for young refugees, but in sources from young refugees. And so this that's why this study is very, very interesting and uh, to a certain extent also unique for that time. And it represents also Papanek's background coming from reform pedagogy in, in Vienna. So again, he wanted to give these young refugees a voice. Um, so it was not just uh, about asking uh, questions. Um, the answers are included in his preliminary study. So this study is not, it's about 160 pages. It's not about his analysis. It's about the answers of the children. And this is kind of the very interesting part here because there's a lot of refugee children agency in here, but there's also an adult pedagogue, Papanek, who was able to see this and uh, who, uh, who wanted to give uh, this specifically a space. And then the, the study is um, in, uh, in the structure is uh, pretty much oriented on the, on the questionnaires. I've already said 70 questions, starting with very personal information, age, gender, family relations. Of course, um, 
class and uh, uh, flight circumstances. It's also about schooling and exclusion from friendship networks and establishing new friendship networks after flight. And um, it's uh, it ends with the Americanization part. So with the arrival in the US, the last questions or the last part of the questions is about loyalties, um, the willingness to help others. So again, experiential knowledge that is coming out of this experience of being a refugee also about democracy and dictatorship. So um, at this point, especially this last part, you can see the context in this debate um, where Papanek, Papanek at least arrived and where um, this uh, study is also situated. in. So, so particularly about the questions about Americanization and helping others, do you think that he was um, sort of under any pressure or that he sort of realized for whom he was writing this? <laughs> that, is, that is a very good question, I would say. Uh, and um, maybe at some point we also talk about the impact of this study. I would say this uh, study is a result of this context he arrived in. This is That is the first part of the answer. The second part of the answer, um, it was conducted as a master's thesis at the New York School of uh, Social Work at Columbia University that was kind of part of this discourse. Um, so I would say um, a specific wording and specific perspectives came out of this institution. Automatically, if he was under pressure, I don't. I don't think he was under pressure, and I don't think Papanek was the person to to do that. He contradicted um, others in very fundamental aspects of taking care of children, of refugee children. Um, so uh, that's why I don't think so. My interpretation would be more okay. Maybe he included this um, to make an argument against this kind of assimila uh, assimilation approach, and uh, to see if his children really answer this kind of questions in the way people in the U.S. think the people uh, the, the children respond to. Ah, so and so, uh, and this is this is really this is really my interpretation, and uh, I would I would say Papanek would would have been the person to to probably do exactly that. Oh. So, um, as a professor of German, I'm very interested in the the language of this mm -hmm. questionnaire, and I and it was in English. Yes. So was that because um, the the children were of, of had a variety of linguistic backgrounds, or was this also part of the Americanization process? I think it's more coming from the background of the study itself because it was conducted at a U.S. university. So the basic material needed to be readable and sort of controllable for a non-native German speaker. I think this is the main reason for that. Um, so he conducted the material, he did his, his research on for an American institution, and so the material had to be in English. Um, this is, I think this is the probably the, the the easiest answer here. Um, the other one is, of course, uh, again, related to what we have uh, talked about earlier, um, to Americanization, to arrival, to to assimilation. There's another perspective I'm, I'm still struggling with because this is really hard to, to, to analyze in the sources. Um, I mean, the, the specific um, situation here in this study is that the children knew Papanek. Um, they knew who was asking the questions. And this means um, they probably had a specific horizon how to answer and how to respond to these questions. That's the first aspect. And the other one is um, they probably also wanted to show him that they are doing well. And doing well in the United States, um, being already in a school of the, the study was conducted in 43 
So most of the uh, children were at the uh, in the U.S. for three years already. Doing this in English uh, is also kind of or comes also with, with some kind of message that um, we are doing well. So this is probably also um, some part of of, uh, uh, of this story. But again, I think um, because the study was conducted at a, a university in the U.S. The language um, uh, was American. One last aspect, because you 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 asked, especially as a, a professor of German, this is of course sometimes kind of a mixture. Um, so uh, there there is German in these questionnaires, and uh, so there are specific German terms the children obviously couldn't translate. Sometimes this is also um, dialect from Vienna or something. Um, so this is still in there, which is, um, on the other hand, not so much of a surprise. So this is probably more related to belonging and uh, identity than uh, to, to language skills. Can you give any examples? Do any occur to you off the top of your head? No, I had uh, I have I have to I have to look this up to be precise. Okay, uh, so. okay. no worry. So, um, the, so the, this yeah. is the, the those are terms like Mütterchen. Um, so uh, terms that do not exist in English, um, like Verniedlichungsform, when they, um, especially in, in, in this emotion-related context, this, this appears uh, a lot of time. And again, belonging and identity, missing specific food that is then not translatable or um, the children were uh, able to, to translate this specific term. That, that is where this specifically appears. Ah, it's interesting. So food and diminutives related mm -hmm. to people. Mm -hmm. so, um, what impact did the study ultimately have at that time? In my interpretation, and as far as I see, not a great one. So um, there was an impact on Papanek's career. I mean, this is probably the, the, the biggest one. So again, uh, he was trying to uh, gain foothold in the United States. There were already social workers, ref uh, refugee relief activists, and so on that were doing their work um, also with unaccompanied minor minor refugees. And Papanek wasn't able to transfer his idea, his concepts from from France, so he started studying. And this, the study is at least the, the starting point for his then professional career in the United States. So he was still active in youth welfare uh, organizations, organizing relief in, in Europe. But then he switched and became in uh, 1948 uh, the head of the Brooklyn Training School for mainly Afro-American children. And he was much more addressing juvenile delinquency and uh, um Pedagogic, uh, pedagogic concepts that aimed um, to um, to overcome inequalities and, r and racism in the United States, and this is kind of and uh, this uh, study on refugee children conducted at uh, Columbia University at the um, School of Social Work is kind of the starting point of this, and this ends up of uh, him being or becoming a professor at Queens College in '59, and then finally at the New School of Social Research. So. On the long run, this this is kind of the impact, and um, I th still think there is a lot of impact, um, and I will do probably some more research on that as well, um, on uh, his practical work uh, with another 
youth group in the United States. I've already mentioned he worked uh, with this specific group uh, already in Vienna. So there is a development and uh, kind of a perspective and um, a, a connection between Vienna and New York here in his biography. The, um, the study wasn't uh, quoted anywhere or cited. Um, I, I didn't find any indication. So uh, he ended his uh, study with this uh, thesis. This one was handed in and ended up in the university archive. But there was another impact um, because in March 1947, uh, Elizabeth Tilly Goodman uh, conducted a follow-up study. So uh, she also at the New, uh, New York School of Social uh, Work at Columbia University and directly based on uh, Papanek's work. And uh, she reached out to in content brackets, Papa Next Children, and ask them as, at least the same questions. What we don't know at the moment, and that's the third point and kind of a research perspective, I still think um, there is a need to do some more research in this early refugee research. Um, I, could, I could hardly find any literature uh, and research that has been done uh, in the past years because this started and um, institutions like the New York uh, uh, School of Social Work were kind of hubs um, because people like Papanek or Gerhard Sänger or others ended up specifically at these kind of institutions and started um, doing research on specific refugee groups. And um, I still think there is an impact maybe also of, uh, of this study, but not really at that time. So it's not uh, that Papanek finished the study. It has never been published, um, for example. So it is really ended up in, 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 in some closet or in some bookshelf. But uh, I still think this is part of a discourse and um, of a perspective of uh, how to treat, how to handle, how to work with, um, especially unaccompanied minors, uh, where Papanek was part of. So you see this as being significant today? <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, of course. Um, I mean, it's it's significant uh, because for two reasons, let's say. Um, it's significant for me personally because I still uh, think that um, the way Papanek um, saw refugee children is a way um, we should treat refugees in general as uh, individuals that um, bring individual. I don't know, uh, bodies of knowledge, but also skills and um, uh, could make a, a contribution, but then they need some space for that. The other impact is uh, more for my research because I'm pretty much interested in especially this intersection of migration and knowledge. And um, I think that so far as I see in my research uniquely, Papanek here created sources exactly about that because he was able to see that. He was able to see the individual refugee, the individual personality and uh the need to to access this this kind of of agency or or uh, give the agency of this specific individual room. So that's why I think yes, <laughs> it's important <laughs> until today. So when you speak of knowledge, mm -hmm. um, can you tell me a little bit more what um, what type of knowledge you're talking about? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, the history of knowledge is is um, 
a more recent approach, I would say, and is uh, is pretty much impacted by the history of science. And uh, the history of science was uh, very focused on bodies of knowledge that were created in specific institutions like universities or academies and 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 uh, and organizations. And um, the scope of a uh, more or less recent history of knowledge is much broader, and includes, for example, everyday knowledge. Um, knowledge that is uh, gained, translated, or even forgotten in processes like uh, migration that uh, takes gender, for example, into account, uh, gender relations. So, and what I'm up to is when I, when I talk about young migrants and in this, uh, in this case, uh, young refugees uh, and knowledge is what, what kind of uh, bodies of knowledge were produced through this experience. So um, when you turn this around, this question, this means uh, probably young refugees had access to bodies of knowledge only they could access because they were refugees. And this is then a, a perspective that is directly linked to agency and um, individual personalities. So what, what I'm trying to find out and this, the questionnaires, um, Papanek circulated are a wonderful source to, uh, at least trace this or show this, um, is what, yeah. How did uh, young refugees reflect on this kind of topic? So where do they gain this kind of specific knowledge, social knowledge? Um, so how to interact in a strange environment, but also, of course, economic knowledge, um, where to get later on a job, for example, and what to do now and what role do established institutions play? Schools, for example, or friendships networks may be more important for them to uh, get access to this kind of uh, knowledge. And um, going a little bit forward and um, leave this this group of unaccompanied uh, minors, when you think about bodies of knowledge that uh, were created by uh, un accompanied minor refugees. You can also think about uh, other constellations um, of refugee families. When uh, So what happened to knowledge and to translation and dissemination and probably also the rejection and the, 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 uh, the forgetting of knowledge um, within refugee families? What does this do to uh, roles with uh, traditional roles within families? Not only think about thinking about gender, but also thinking about age. Um, so that's why I think this uh, specific perspective on, on knowledge and migration, and especially in forced migration contexts, is very interesting and, and, and very promising. And coming back to a question you have already asked me, I think this is also a most recent one, because again, we are not talking in our present times about unaccompanied uh, refugee children. We are also talk, talking about refugee families and uh, the questions about how knowledge is uh, preserved, translated, um, maybe also rejected um, is kind of a present one as well. But um, for this refugee group from the 1940s, um, from my perspective, it's a very interesting topic to and to to how to approach um, this very specific group. So, Van, your research I find really really exciting, and I'm just wondering if, when you were doing it, did it uncover any surprises for you? Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm always surprised. So, uh, I mean, I was looking for specific sources from this knowledge perspective for a very long time. And uh, I found different ones, uh, again, representing mostly knowledge 
about young refugees from, I don't know, state agencies um, or uh, church communities or relief organizations. I found sources where knowledge was uh, conveyed to or for for young refugees in schools, for example. But it's it's really hard to 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 find uh, sources that represent this kind of individual uh, refugee children's um, perspective. And this surprised me. This was the surprising finding in these questionnaires of Ernst Papanek, because he was exactly doing that, and he circulated these questionnaires, and he gave the young refugees a space to speak, and he gave me (laughs) at least sources um, to do research on it. And that was kind of the surprise when when I was uh, in the New York Public Library uh, for the first time and and started working with with his papers, because I saw, okay, he approached this kind of group like I approached them. Uh, I didn't have sources for it before. And yeah, to a certain extent, he produced them. And um, I think the the other surprising part is, again, there's a, spe- a specific relation. Um, the, the children knew the person who was asking the questions, but there is a lot of emotions in the in the answers of the of the children and this emotional level of uh belonging of obviously thinking about identity over this long course of time of being a refugee um this is much more um in the foreground than i thought it will be since i knew there are these kind of questionnaires and 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 uh, uh papanek reached out to his young refugee group and 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 uh, asked this uh, this specific questions but the children talk a lot more about very individual emotions and um being separated from family members and what this means and what americanization in relation of being for example a, a young refugee from austria means to them at that at that time this was much more present there um, than I thought it would be. It was kind of a, a surprising finding as well. Um, Sven, is anything um, known about what happened to this group of, um, of young refugees? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, I already mentioned Lily Meyer. Uh, so she did a lot of research, not only on Papanek. So she uh, found many of them or children of this refugee group. And as far as I see, you asked me about surprises before. Um, I think nothing really surprising happened to them. Uh, most of them stayed in the US. Uh, so many of them lost family members. Um, if they were um, of Jewish descent, um, of course, they, they lost family members in the Holocaust. And um, many of them were on their way, on their own for many years. And this is what you also have to keep in mind. I mean, uh, when, when um, Goodman conducted um, this follow-up study uh, in '47, some of the children she asked from the Papanek group, um, they were refugees already for nine or ten years which means they were also separated from Austria, from uh, this idea of going back. They were sometimes already settled. Uh, They got their education in the United States. They uh, were hired in jobs. Um, They were building up their their own lives. Um, So as far as I see, many of them didn't return. But this is uh, especially for uh, uh, the refugee group with with a Jewish background. This is not a big surprise. So many many Jewish refugees didn't want to go back uh, to Germany or to Austria. So, 
Sven, your work on youth and migration is, is quite multifaceted, and I'm particularly intrigued by your work on Babette Deutsch's The Welcome and its, um, and its relationship to youth migration and knowledge. So could you tell us a little bit about this work? Yes. So The Welcome by Babette Deutsch is um, the starting point for getting acquainted with Ernst Papanek, um, because I stumbled across this very, I would say, unique novel um, from 1942. Babette Deutsch is... Uh, an U.S. writer um, who had already a broader audience at the time, and in the English-speaking world, I would say. Um, so we, she was part of this um, progressive democratic group of writer, writers and critics and, and, and poets. She was herself of German-Jewish descent, um, translated German and Russian literature, and uh, taught poetry at the New School for Social Research already in 1933. So she's, as a writer, she's already a very interesting person. And then I... Um, so I stumbled across this novel because um, The Welcome depicts a children's refugee home of unaccompanied minor refugees in New York in 1942. And the main character is Ernst Keller, a 12-year-old Austrian refugee. Um, so she is already focusing on this very specific group and again um, with uh, in, in this case an Austrian uh, focus but um, what got me into this really into this uh, is the dedication of the book it's dedicated to Trude Frankel and Trude Frankel was a Viennese pedagogue um, I'm still not certain if she knew Ernst Papanek from Vienna but she was a kinder transport caretaker. Um, she was a pedagogue in Papanek's refugee homes in France, and she came to New York as well, where she set up um, the children's colony, a uh, nursery kindergarten after school uh, for refugee children from Austria and um, uh, Germany. And this is where Papanek's and her uh, paths crossed as well, um, because uh, Papanek was an advisor to this children's colony. Sounds a little bit complex. It is not. Um, the starting point is still the novel. And uh, this novel is not only dedicated to Trude Frankel, she is depicted in uh, this novel as well. Uh, she is depicted as a person who organized children fleeing Austria to France. Uh, She's depicted as the head of this uh, uh, children's colony. So this, this was for me kind of the, the, the starting point where I discovered this kind of network. And um, yeah, coming to this to this question of uh, knowledge and uh, uh, young refugees, where I discovered that we need, a, probably as historians, probably a little bit more awareness and creativity about this kind of sources. So uh, Papanek's questionnaires are seemed to me one very interesting approach, but this novel uh, also represents this kind of agency and knowledge production, dissemination, translation of, of young refugees. And that's why, yeah, that's just interesting. So who was the intended audience of this novel? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a very good question. Um, so uh, the main character, uh, Ernst Keller, Austrian refugee uh, boy, he's 12 years old. And his 
friends and this kind of friendship networks and school play a role uh, plays a role in here as well and being separated from his um, same aged uh, sister I think this is the target audience and um, it has been uh, reviewed by by several newspapers in in the US and has been recommended especially for young adults and and, and, uh, and children libraries so I think this is the main address on the other hand, Babette Deutsch is again a well-established writer at that time with a much wider audience. So I would say this book is also about relief and seeing refugees, giving them a voice, being, I don't know, active in uh, acts of solidarity. So I think this, um, this might be the wider audience. The problem here is... Um, so I have the book as a source. Uh, I saw Babette Deutsch's papers in New York as well. And um, there's not much in there. Uh, so I don't know why she was obviously personally acquainted with Trude Frankel and the children's colony, this very specific home of a Austrian refugee pedagogue that was directly linked to Ernst Papanek um, because she worked with him already in France. Um, so I don't know exactly what the intention was um, because we don't have sources or I didn't discover so far any sources about um, this very interesting, uh, again, very interesting book. I'm assuming that, that um, Babette Deutsch's The Welcome is, is no longer available, that it's out of print. No, no, it's no longer available. So it, it, you can uh, look through online catalogs of libraries. So this also tells you something about how it was distributed and who bought it. No, I got my copy uh, through... Um, a used bookstore <laughs> and it appeared in 1942 and there was no reissue of this again very austrian story so when you found it in the used bookstore was that um, were you looking specifically for it or did you just have yes. it upon it oh, yes because i wanted to have a copy and oh. um it's <laughs> it's always nice to have a a real book in front of you and in in this particular case as well because uh there are also illustrations in there. So there's a third person um, involved here, Mark Simon, who did illustrations, and he also uh, he also depicted um, some situations described in the in the book, including uh, Susie, the main character who is true to Frankel, crossing the Austrian border, and the border patrol to, uh, um, person uh, tells her to not come back. So again, I I, just, I simply wanted to have this copy, and um, it wasn't expensive. Hmm. Well, I'd like to see if I can find a copy, too. It sounds fascinating. <laughs> so, um, Sven, what would you like to see happen in the field of children migration studies? And what do directions do you think would be useful at this juncture? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, as I've already told you, I'm, I'm uh, interested in this uh, intersection of, uh, of migration and knowledge. And um, I think, still think this is a really useful perspective anyway, not only when it comes to child migration studies. Um, I think this is a useful uh, perspective in uh, for migration studies in general, especially from a historical perspective. So focusing on migrant knowledge formed um, through experience, um, in our case here with refugees, through experiences like persecution or flight um, or, or rejection, aspects like value of uh, a specific cultural or everyday knowledge 
and this kind of go-between situations. And for for child uh, migration studies, I would say, if we think about this connection of uh, migration and knowledge through this lens of age, um, we, we can discover a, a whole lot of more. I've already mentioned this very specific situation Papanek's children were in. So they were unaccompanied minors. So uh, the very traditional knowledge institutions starting in the own family with mother and father, they weren't there. So this is different um, when it comes to research on uh, child migration within the tra traditional institutions within, for example, the families. And uh, to approach this, and this is kind of, this is not so much a perspective. I think this, um, this intersection of migration and knowledge is already the perspective I would uh, argue is a very interesting uh, one to look at and to re-evaluate also uh, other institutions like schools, for example, um, schools that were dealing and deal today with migrants, not only with refugees. But um, this uh, research on Papanek is, is more or less connected to a plea. And um, this is a plea for more awareness and creativity to uh, discover this kind of processes, to not just look into the sometimes very easy to access sources that represent knowledge about young migrants and young refugees and for them. This is what I, I've mentioned before, but to really look in a very creative way um, for the sources um, that were created by them. Or at least through them, like, uh, in my opinion, Babette Deutsch's uh, novel, The Welcome, because the refugee children have been involved here as well. So um, I think or what I'm trying to say is, uh, so agency and voices uh, is something I'm very interested in. And I still think there's a lot out there uh, that is still undiscovered and that tells us a lot more uh, about the past and in my case, young refugees, but also about our present times. Well, Sven, thank you very much. I'm, um, this work that you've done on Papanek and the study has been so exciting. And I think that's one of those areas that points into directions that there is so much out there to be um, still be discovered. And your, the work that you've done on um, knowledge and migration has been so important. So I would like to th um, thank you for this uh, very enjoyable conversation today. Thank you very much. This podcast was produced by Dr. Jacqueline Van Sant, Dr. Sven Steinberg, Elizabeth Leitzel, and Adriana Lacona. Our theme music is Hungarian Dance by Underscore Orchestra. Thank you so much for listening. The Botsteber Austrian American Podcast is produced by the Botsteber Institute for Austrian American Studies, which seeks to promote an understanding of the historic relationship between the United States and Austria, including the Habsburg Empire. To learn more about our grants, publications, events, and other programming, visit botsteberbias.org or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube.